All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3, that's where we'll pick up our story this morning. And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the ability to congregate together and to study it and to worship you and to pray and just to, just to have this time with you together. Um, we pray that you'd do whatever you want to do. Fill us with your spirit and pray that your word, which is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, would, would just uh, speak to us. Everybody's coming from a different place, Lord, um, different week, different kind of heart. And uh, we know we all have individual needs, and then there's also something, you know, things you want to tell us that we haven't even thought of. So, Lord, help us just to be open to everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as promised, I won't read chapter 2, all the names to you. Please read those on your own. Um, I was instructed there were some good baby names in there, so you can look for them yourself. But pick one that I can pronounce if I'm doing any dedications, so I don't botch that. The restoration um, of Israel has begun in Ezra. The first group has received instructions to go back and to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem uh, by God, by prophets, and then a king's decree from Persia. And the first group of 50,000 led by Zerubbabel have taken hold and begin to do the work. And it's not always easy, and I think we'll see that here in these next two chapters. I'll try to get through four today as well. There's always some pushback, and we should expect that. Um, if there's anything Jesus tried to get through to his boys and his disciples was that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And they got to witness three and a half years of pushback on his ministry. Um, and when he died and rose again and ascended into heaven and gave them the Holy Spirit to continue the ministry, um, they began to feel that heat um, that comes from following the Lord and, and walking with him. And so we should expect that as well. And so this hopefully is an encouraging chapter for all of us, a couple chapters, that uh, when things get hard in our walk with the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean that we're in error, um, that we've taken a misstep or a wrong turn along the way. But perhaps it's just pushback. And Satan, who had you in his control and was manipulating you and had an easy time with you before you came to Christ, is now not having such an easy time and so has decided to make your life a little harder than it used to be because you were going his way, but now you're not. And swimming against the flow is a, an interesting ordeal in this world. It's going to get harder and harder. Um, the culture is following after Satan. It's easily manipulated. And so as they give in more and more in this world and you decide to walk closer and closer with the Lord, um, you'll find yourself at odds more often than not with this world. And sometimes it gets a little discouraging, you know. Can I have a day where I'm not upset by what I see happening around me? Is it, isn't there a day where we could just have a break and everybody could just kind of get along or whatever? It's not in the cards. It's not the way it's going to be. Um, never has been. Um, the world needs to be restored by Jesus. It's groaning, it says. All creation groans for that restoration to take place, that new beginning, that new life. Um, and that won't happen until Jesus is here. Until he comes, we occupy. And so I hope you're encouraged this morning as we see, even under 
such direction from the Holy Spirit, God moving on the hearts of foreign kings and raising up prophets and many hands to do the labor, there is just still a difficult time at going into this ministry, into doing what God's called them to do. Verse 1, when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, that's our leader, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren, arose, built the altar of, of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of, these, of those countries, they set the altar on its bases. They offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. That's our first stop this morning. They went ahead and did it. I think it's interesting they didn't wait till the walls were built or their homes were built or the temple itself was built. They got that altar going. They began to worship right where they were with what they had. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. I, um, I don't want to wait until I have all my ducks in a row. I just want to start worshiping. And as a born-again believer, brand new, you want to get out there and you want to get at it, you know. I want to start telling everybody about Jesus, even though I don't know much about Jesus. I want to tell everybody what I know about the Bible, even though I don't know that much about the Bible. But you tell them what you know, you know, and you, you get at it. And you begin to worship with all your heart. Maybe you don't do it right, or you don't do it like you thought you were supposed to. And as you go through God's Word, you realize that there's some changes you need to make, but you got at it. And these guys get right at it. Um, there's some controversy going on from this last chapter that I didn't read to you. There's some people that say we're supposed to be priests, but they couldn't verify. They couldn't register. They couldn't trace their origins or their genealogies. And so they're on hold until we can get that straightened out. And that's actually going to be a problem with the third temple that's going to be built by the Antichrist. Is he's going to have their, the Jews are going to have a hard time figuring out who used to be priests, who can do this job once the sacrifices are started again. Um, it's interesting what's come about with DNA, you know, genetically speaking, all we have to do is find really one or two bones of someone we know of what tribe they're from, from each of the 12 tribes. And you can pretty much trace everybody down, even if there's some mix. And so they will be able to do that. And so there's some problems here, but just because they don't have all the priests where they need to be and there's some people on hold, it doesn't mean they don't start worshiping and they don't start sacrificing. They don't start doing what's right in the eyes of God. They do what they can do. So they built the altar. And they built the altar, it says from verse 3, even though they had fear about the people around the land. And I, I can see that. It's a difficult time for them. They've come back from captivity. They're walking back into their homeland, but the people have been there a very long time. Who are you? You know, why are you here? Who are the new neighbors? You know, there's a lot of them. Um, and they see them building a city and they see them worshiping a God and they're wondering what is happening. And so there's fear instilled in the nation of Israel. These people are not excited about them moving back to the, to the land. But even though there's that fear, it doesn't stop them from doing what they're called to do. Now, are they supposed to have fear? No. No, I, you know, that's my job as a pastor is to tell you all now you've not given the spirit of fear, but what a power and might and the Holy Spirit. And I should talk like that more often, probably. 
But the fact is, we get afraid sometimes. It just happens. And it doesn't mean that you stop doing what God's doing in your life. You still do it. You just got to acknowledge the fact that I have, a, I have an irrational fear. Because it's irrational because God is in control. God's called me to do this. We're supposed to be here. He's our protector. Nothing can get, separate me from the love of God. All the verses I know, but I'm still kind of scared today. But I still do what I'm called to do today. And to press through that, to persevere through those things. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through three, two through 8, excuse me, I, I, I took two different um, versions of the scripture. I did one that was in the New Living Translation and one in the ESV. Both are, are, uh, are if you're worried about those things, it's not like I picked a, a horrible translation or something to, to suit my needs. Those are both uh, translated from the majority text, just like the New King James or the King James Version. So they're, they're pretty good, just a little more modern language. But it used the words that, as, as James tries to describe that when you do these things, this testing of your faith produces patience, which we kind of know what the word patience means, but the way these two verses and these other uh, versions of the Bible translated, it's not, it's not the same word. So see if you can pick up on it. Dear brothers, James says, and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. That's the New Living Translation. Instead of patience, it says endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance or patience is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's a, a good additive word or a, a word in addition to uh, the word patience. It helps. The next one is ESV, um, the English Standard Version. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Good. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Sometimes the pushback we get, persevering through fear or days where I don't think I'm adequate or I don't think I can do this, but I do it anyway, produces steadfastness, patience, and endurance in my life as a Christian. Those are very difficult things to grow in your life without trials, without pushback from the world. You can't grow in those areas. Some things have to come from trials. You can't get it any other way. And so if I want to be patient, I've said this a million times, God has to put me in situations where I need to be patient. And I have to practice it, to sit there, to not be frustrated, to twiddle my thumbs, to tap my foot, to wonder what in the world's everybody waiting on, you know, kind of thing. Well, they're waiting for you to learn patience so we can move on to the next lesson, you know. And we go around those mountains quite a few times in our lives, and we revisit those lessons often. Uh, but that's to help us to grow. And so the nation of Israel meets their first opposition. I mean, you're excited. We, we've been given all the gold. We've been given permission to go build. We've got a blank check and a, and a, and a clear path, and the land is ours, and we can go. And here's your first trial. The people that are already there don't want you there. You got to do it anyway. We've run through many obstacles like that as a fellowship. Maybe much of it you don't know about. We don't try to publicize it, but there's some pushback. Who's, who are you, Calvary? Don't we have enough churches in town already on the edge of town? They put their chairs in a circle on Wednesday nights. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with that? It's a cult. 
It's a cult. We do the chicken sacrifices way in the back, so nobody knows about any of that stuff. So I don't know how they know that we're a cult, but we're not. We just love God and want to teach his word and study his word and grow and get along if we can. But if we can't get along, that doesn't stop the ministry. Getting along is not part of it. We just do it. We do what God's called us to do, and you've got to persevere through those things. And God always protects and provides, and although there may be tinges of fear, you just press on and you go through it. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I know God wants us to. Just press on and let that patience have its perfect work in your life. Verse 4, they also kept the feast of the tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings and the number required by ordinance for each day. I mean, I met a, a lot of this was mechanical at first. You know, I mean, I know they love God, but a lot of it's like, okay, how many are we supposed to do? Five. We better do five then. You know, it's not about sin. It's not about laying hands on the animals. I mean, they're doing all the things they're supposed to do, but a lot of it's let's just get this going. We need to get this going. Afterward, they offered uh, the regular burnt offering. For, uh, and, and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts for the Lord um, that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They're worshiping without the foundation being laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil, the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon. Remember we talked about that? What are we going to do with all this oil? What are we doing with all this stuff? Well, you're going to trade it for wood because there's not a lot of wood around there. Uh, and they brought it down from the sea to Joppa according to the, uh, to the permission which they have had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So it's all falling into place. It's all going, but they're worshiping first. They're doing what they can do first. They don't have the foundation laid, but they're, they're going. And as the foundation's laid, things begin to settle down, and, and uh, it's going to take years for them to get to the place where the walls are built. Uh, it's going to take Ezra coming. It's going to take Nehemiah, the third leader of this uh, return, to actually get them to finish building the walls, to get them to finish doing the things. But they're going to pause. They're going to get tired. They're going to become weary and well-doing. And it takes a certain leader to come along and encourage them. Ezra's going to encourage them. Come on, we got to keep moving spiritually. And Nehemiah is going to come along and crack a whip and say, come on, you need to work harder. What are you doing? You know, the guys are regressing. We need to move forward. And so he, they're going to pick it up. Now, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and the rest of their brethren, the priests, the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Joshua and his sons and the brothers, uh, Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God. The sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. So there's a, a lot of guys getting their hands dirty. Let's get working here. Let's get this thing built. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, it's the first step, big stones, big stones, right? They've laid these foundations of the temple. The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. So 
Um, they would say he for he I don't know the tune, but you know for he is good for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. And then they would respond, Amen or Yay or you know they'd shout, they'd say something, so responsive. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But not everybody's praising the Lord. Some are upset. I think this is the point of this chapter for us to take home today. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So you get two groups of people there. Mariah asked me uh, last night, tucking her in, what's the Bible study about tomorrow, Dad? I said, well, I guess one of the things is this right here. And I explained to her that there's a lot of crying at the dedication of the uh, foundation of the temple. And then there's a lot of rejoicing, too. And the difference being, it would be like those that had seen it in its glory, Solomon's temple, Greatest temple on the earth at the time. Beautiful, beautiful. And this new temple that's being built pales in comparison to what that used to look like. And so the comparison for that person who's seen both is, oh, 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 what we've lost is the grief here, is the, is the sorrow. Not, I can't believe I have to worship at a church that doesn't have carpet, you know, kind of thing. It's not like that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's more like I've seen what it should be or could have been if we had stayed with the Lord. But I see what it's become, what we've, it's second best. It's still worship, but it's nothing like it should have been. So there's a loss there, a spiritual loss. Um, and they're upset about it. But the young people that had come back, had grown up in Babylon, really had no memory of the old temple at all. They're just excited. You know, a temple, we're going to truly worship our God. This is so exciting. And it is. And it is. Both of these people are right. Nobody's wrong. Nobody shouldn't be crying and nobody should be crying. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's how they remember it. It's a tough place for everybody and a, and a good place for some. They don't understand. But it, either way, it's all blended together. And it, it's a lot like when we come to church. There's a lot of people. You're all here to worship God. You all come here because this is where you meet Jesus. I mean, not only place, don't get me wrong, this isn't where Jesus lives, but you've come here to worship, and some of you are coming from a place where I need a touch from God, I need help. I don't know where my life's going, or I don't know what happened this week, or I don't know, oh God, I just need, I just need a friend, I need a father, I need someone to be here. And others are coming from a different place. And so some of you are singing songs, oh God, help me, and others are saying, praise God, thank you for all you've done for me. And the sound is not, you can't distinguish between the two here. But the, God does. The Holy Spirit does. Some, sometimes I misread people, imagine that. And I'm too joyful with them when they're in a place of sorrow. I don't recognize it. I'm just a man, you know. And sometimes I come up to somebody and say, gosh, how are you doing? They're like, fine, should I not be okay, you know? <laughs> No, no, no. I, just glad you're okay, you know. Why? What'd you hear? Um, you'll find out. No. I, <laughs> people don't know. They just don't. 
There's a lot of times I should have gone to the hospital and visited somebody for something that I thought was just a minor thing, but ended up not being a minor thing. I didn't, I didn't recognize the gravity of the situation. Don't let that bother you. People just get it wrong sometimes. It's, it's indiscernible. The, the shouts from afar off, nobody really gets what's happening here. But here's the point, I think, is God understands each heart at this foundation. They under, he understands why they're wailing, and he understands why they're cheering, and he, he appreciates the heart of both, and he's going to minister to each one as he sees fit. Only God can do that. Men and women, we, we do our best, but we, we don't understand sometimes. And so, I know it's a cliche statement, but truly keep your eyes on Jesus and truly expect your healing and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come from him. And go to him for that. And sometimes the people around you will get it right, and sometimes they won't. But give them grace and mercy and, and bless them and pray for them and, and don't be bitter towards them, you know? Just understand they're people just trying to muddle through like you are. Now, chapter 4. Now, when the adversaries, there's always adversaries, of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of uh, Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. But we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land, remember who they are, adversaries, tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Okay. <laughs> Some people want to be in the ministry. Well, they better be right with the Lord. These people aren't right with the Lord. These people are coming in as adversaries. Let us, let us build with you. We worship the same God you too. Well, what they're not saying is, but we also worship all the other gods out there as well. We've included your God in our worship of all the gods. He's equal, same as, whatever, as all the other gods. And they're like, no, this is got to be built by people that are spiritually pure, that are only seeking after the will of the Father, that only want to follow the true and living God. And they don't have this mixed heart, this double-mindedness that you have. We can't have you a part of the ministry. Well, it's offensive. I'm a visitor. I want to help. Who <laughs> you are. I don't know where you stand. I don't know. I'm not putting you in the kids' ministry. I have no idea who you are. You know? Let's see. Let's watch and see. And if they were truly had the right heart, to join in and be a part of it, and they were told no, they would humbly say, absolutely, I totally understand. Is there any, anything I can do for you, support you in any way? No, we don't need any of your help. Even if it was gruff and rough, it sounds a little rough, doesn't it? No, only us. Okay. I mean, if they were humble and truly had the heart of God, they'd be like, oh yeah, no, I get it. You don't know me. That's fine. We'll just cheer. We're very happy for you. We'll pray that there's safety on the job site. We'll, we'll do whatever we can from afar. 
But that's not what they do. They get turned down and they begin to be spiteful. They even hire counselors to frustrate the purposes of the people and try to get in the way of the ministry because they couldn't be a part of it kind of thing. What in the world? How is that How is that possible? Well, it's because they had good discernment. They were adversaries, and the people of Judah and Benjamin understood that they were adversaries. And although it looked rough when they said, no, you can't help, it was actually the right call. It was a good move, you know? And so they frustrated them. Now, these people, who are they, these people in the land? Well, these are the Samaritans. The southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, we've talked about this, were taken captive by Babylon, and the others were taken captive by Assyria. And they were uh, left, the northern tribes were left, and they brought in other people, and they intermarried with them, so the pure Israeli blood is no longer there. It's a mixed blood now between, well, whoever they brought in and, 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 the, and the Jewish people, and so now they're called Samaritans, and that should ring a bell with us when we think about Jesus and his stories and how it was so offensive to them when when the Jews would hear this story about the good Samaritan who all the other good Jewish boys walked by the guy who was in trouble on the road, but this good Samaritan walked by and did the right thing. So regardless of your purity of blood, what matters is that you help, that you do what you're supposed to do, you know? But he also met a woman at a well in John chapter 4. And it's an interesting study in this uh, rivalry between the Samaritans and the Israelis. Um, so let me read part of it to you. I don't want to go into too great a detail, but it's a good story. It's the woman at the well. Jesus has sent his guys into town to go get some food, and he's sitting by the well outside of town. And it was not the hour for the women to come out to the well. Uh, to get water, but this is when she shows up, and maybe she shows up at this time because she's got a lot of guys in her life, you know, and for her to show up at the well when all the other women did might have been an awkward moment because she's been with seven or eight of their husbands, you know, so it's an interesting moment, but she's a Samaritan. It's a Samaritan city. We'll begin in verse five. So he, Jesus, came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? There's animosity. There should be. She's never had a nice, kind word come from a Jewish person. So why are you doing this? Why are you asking me? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In other words, you don't recognize who I am. I'm your Messiah. You just don't know it. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? So now there's a heritage battle going on. Well, our father Jacob built this well, and we drank from it just like he did. You know, I know you've come up from Jerusalem. You're a big city guy, you know, from out of town. But you're in our turf now. Interesting. 
So he answered, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. That's a whole other Bible study. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water, springing up into everlasting life. So he's reaching out to her, trying to let her know that he's her Messiah as well. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. It's like the everlasting gobstopper in her mind. I just, I'd love to just never be thirsty again, have this all the time, hate the work. And he said to her, go call your husband to come here. <laughs> oh, I have no husband. He says, you're, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Because <laughs> you read my mind and my future and my past. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You hear this? This is the point. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So there is bitterness all the way to Jesus' time about this moment right here that we're reading. Can we help you build the temple? We all know Samaritan, mixed blood, only the pure. We're not worried about your ethnicity. We're concerned about you worshiping all these other gods. That's the difference. It's not a racist thing that's happening here with the Samaritan woman or, or with the Samaritans here. It's a, you're worshiping all these other gods. You can't be a part of this kind of thing. It's not about that. It's about all your other gods. And so from this moment, they're frustrated. There's just this animosity. Well, not, not this. It's definitely animosity all the way. And so that's where we, it helps us to read this Old Testament stuff that a lot of people say we don't need to waste our time doing to understand why the Samaritan woman's having that conversation with Jesus. It's because of this chapter four right here. You say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We wouldn't let us build with you when you're in Jerusalem. You know, they remember that. They have long memories. Anyway, so they began to frustrate their purposes because they were never really for them at all. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, now, we have switched from the guy who let them come back to a new king here. He's only going to reign for a little bit, um, but he's reigning. This is the son of Cyrus who sent them off. So now it's Cyrus's son is the new guy. So this is an ongoing restoration of Jerusalem. King let them go whatever happened, the, the boy begins to reign with them. And, and so these guys, they're frustrating the purposes. They write a letter to him. Do you realize what these guys are doing over here? They're terrible. Ahasuerus does know what his dad said and says, no, he's going to let it go. But now verse seven, we switch to the third leader after Ahasuerus. And now this third guy only lasts 10 months, but he's going to do a, a terrible deed to the people trying to restore Jerusalem. So this third guy takes over back in what's Persia now, it used to be Babylon, now it's Persia. And it says, in the days of Artaxerxes, also Bishlam, Mithridath, and Tabel, and the rest of their companions wrote Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated in Aramaic language and so on and so on. Okay, so they're going to write this accusation letter again to the new guy. Do you know what's happening over here on the other side of the river? Do you understand that this city is being built and that they're going to rebel against you? And so I'm going to skip verses uh, 9 and, and 10 because it's just the greeting. Um, you can read that yourself if you want to. Anyway, it's just like, here's who's writing the letter. Uh, beginning in verse 11. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, 
the men of the region beyond the river, and, and so forth. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who have come up from you have come to us, come to us at Jerusalem and are building a rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and preparing the foundations, let it be known, or let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will, will be diminished. You know, so there it is. You know, oh, great king. We're just some guys over here on the other side of the river. Thought we ought to let you know what's happening over here. These guys are building this terrible, evil city. You know, Really? And they're not going to pay you money, so you better shut it down. Now, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. And you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, that they have incited sedition within the city in former times, uh, for which cause the for which cause this city was destroyed we inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river i mean it's, it's pretty bad right all because they weren't allowed to help you know they're jealous they don't like it um, it happens people begin to say things about you you know not just as a ministry but individuals you know all of a sudden, they come against you. Why? What, what happened? It, it, all that matters is you're following Jesus. That's all that bothers them. You were fine. You were an ally. You weren't so judgy before. Even though you've never said a word to them, when you become a Christian, you're a judgmental person all of a sudden in their eyes. You're just judgmental. You know? How come you won't go out with us on Friday nights? I just don't want to go. You're judging me. How did, how, where do you get that from? You know? Well, because you used to say yes, and you used to do all the things we do on Friday nights at all these places, and now you won't come, so I know that you're not coming because you're following Jesus, and they come to these huge conclusions, like, no, I just want to stay home tonight. And then they go out without you, and they tell you their friends and old friends and everybody they could, whoever will listen about what you've become. You can't do anything about that. You can't worry about it. The nation of Israel can't do anything about this. They're going to send a letter. They have every right to send a letter. The king has every right to listen or to not listen. It's up to him. But he listens. So the king answered to Rehum, the commander, to Shimshai, the the scribe, to the rest of their companions who dwell in Samaria and to the uh, remainder beyond the river, peace and so forth. I don't know if it really says that and so forth in the letter, but like the writer's just like, yeah, whatever. They went a bunch of bunch of other garbage, they said, you know, or whether they really said that. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me, and I have given, or I, and I gave the command, and a search has been made, and it was found that this city, in former times, has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. Uh, there, have been, there have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river, and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them, not to us, but to them. Now, give the command to make this, these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the herd of the kings? Shut it down, guys. Now, when the copy of the king Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum and Shimshai, or Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste. Oh, I bet they did. 
to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Drop your trowels, you know. Put down your shovels. You shall not build this. Thus the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem ceased and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I mean, what do you say to that? Except it happens sometimes. All of a sudden, it's like, what did I do wrong? What has, what has gotten in the way? You know, I thought, I thought I heard from the Lord. I mean, we got, everything was going great. Did I sin? Is there something wrong in my life? I mean, these things happen. And, and there are other stories just like this where it is the person's fault. They walk away from the Lord or they're not walking with God anymore. And all of a sudden, their life takes a turn. And it's like, man, everything is falling apart right now. It's got to be because I'm in sin. They're not. Now, they're a little fearful of the people. Maybe they're supposed to be bold and take up arms against these guys as they come. You know, they're timid. They've come out of cap. Remember, when you're a slave for that long and you come out, um, it's hard to have all the guts that all your ancestors used to have. I'm like King David. Well, I know I'm supposed to be like King David, but I'm more like King David, you know? I'm not as, I'm not David. And so you don't have that, you know, intestinal fortitude that David had. And so these guys show up with swords. Maybe they were supposed to fight back. I don't know. But they didn't. They're like, okay, I guess we'll stop. The king let us start building. We took that as the Lord, and we were able to just walk through these open doors. And now it's a closed door. I don't know what to do here. I don't know if I'm supposed to kick it down, or if I'm just supposed to wait patiently for the door to open again. Maybe it's just a pause. Be encouraged in that. Sometimes that happens in life as you're walking with the Lord. It isn't because you're in sin necessarily. It could be. Lots of stories, you know, about that. You just have to pray and make sure that you're not. But if you're walking with the Lord and you know, and you're like, this, this came out of nowhere. You know, I think 2020 came out of nowhere for a lot of people. You know, what in the world? I mean, everything was going great. And then 2020 hit. What happened? You know, is this it? Is this the apocalypse? Well, no, it's going to get a lot worse than that. You thought 2020 was bad. Hmm. No. There's a pause, a reset. Something's happening. I don't know. Everything was going so great. seemed like it. And all of a sudden, the door just got slammed shut. Certainly, we should kick it down. Certainly, we should. I don't know. I do know that chapter 5 and chapter 6, which I would have loved to have gotten to today, is the door reopening. And so I'm thankful for Ezra writing all this down for us. Because we can see how God opened the door. God shut a door, and then God reopened that exact same door again. And it wasn't because of sin or anything. It was just a pause in the action. It was a hesitation. And only God knows the timing or the reasons why and all that. And it's okay. It's a little confusing for us down here or standing on the door, and we don't have the the line of sight that that the Lord does. He can see it all. He understands what's happening. We're over here going, I I hope you can see because I can't. I don't know. You really got to trust that he's doing what's best for you. So they pause, so they halt, and they stop the work, and the enemy is successful. That's got to be frustrating to them. We even told them they couldn't help us. We thought for sure God was going to really, we're going to move along in this construction process a lot faster now, but because we're faithful to do what God told us to do, you know, they're going over it in their mind just like we do. I did this, I did that, I'm retracing my steps. It's okay. It's just a stop. But it's going to start again in chapter 5 and 6. 
And they're going to look back on that too and say, wow, I mean, God got it going again, but Satan can step in. Job's life was great. I mean, it really was. I mean, he was always worried about his kids and praying for his kids. You know the story. And then one day Satan shows up and just takes everything away from him. It's like, what did I do? Now, there were some learning lessons there, but it wasn't because he was an unholy man or because he hated God. But God restored everything at the end of that. These pauses, these stops, a great time to pray, a great time to seek the Lord and make sure everything's right in your life and in your heart. Always good time for reflection on that and to see if the Holy Spirit would speak to you about anything in your life that wants to change. But endure, just like we read through James and several of those scriptures, endure to press on. Let patience have its perfect work. Continue. Be ready. Keep your hands and arms and yourself spiritually in shape for when that door opens so that you can go through and you can continue to finish the process and the ministry that God's called you to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, encouraging us this morning that um, sometimes the enemy can throw a wrench into the works, but it's never a surprise to you. It is always to us, it seems like, but it's never a surprise to you. Um, There's oftentimes the enemy thinks he's won, but if we're faithful and stay with our eyes fixed upon you, when, you, when you're ready to start again, we're ready to go. Um, in this case especially, but also I think about Jesus and the death on the cross where Satan thought he won, and, but didn't. It was actually the best thing that could have happened. It was the perfect outcome that he rose from the dead as the perfect sacrifice to take away the sin of the world and gave new life and everlasting life to all who trust and believe in him. And so what a great... Moment. Although they thought, the disciples thought, darkness had won, Satan had won, he'd lost. So to help us to be patient, to persevere, to keep our eyes on you, to go through the open doors, to stop at the closed ones, to pray, to always be attentive, and our ears always open to the leading of your spirit. I pray that you bless these folks as they go today, in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you, otherwise have a good, soggy week.